Good morning. It's great to be with you this morning. Um, at the end of the message, there's actually going to be a question time today, and I believe there's going to be a number that's up there at the top of the, the screen that you can text uh, questions to. Uh, and then uh, I'm sure you've got some great questions. I'm not sure I've got any great answers, but you'll have some great questions. It would be great to hear. So do text them through. That, those can be from the talk today or... Apparently, they can be from the talks precedingly, although I'm not quite sure how I'm going to answer those questions. But, but if you've got burning questions that you want to ask from uh, preceding things, it'd be good at least to put them out there, and, uh, and I'll do my best. Well, the, the title for the talk today, I was given uh, by Rowan, Jesus is a Fairy Tale, and the great thing is that Rowan isn't here, so I can do basically what I like with that title. Uh, but let's try and be fair to, to what it says, that statement, um, perhaps that you wouldn't expect to hear someone who is a Christian say that Jesus is a fairy tale. Well, what might someone mean by that? What, what are fairy tales? We've seen something of that in that Colin Buchanan video. That a fairy tale is something that we tell to children, right? Something that uh, captures the imagination, but then at some point you grow up and you get beyond that kind of thing. Because you know that, well, you know two things, that fairy tales are basically not true. They're not based in reality. And so they're not the kinds of things that people live for. They don't make a difference to life. I mean, you might, you might learn some kind of principle, and often we do, don't we, about the, the, the boy who cried wolf. We learn some, some moral principle from a fairy tale, but no one bases their life on the events actually happening. It's a, it's a principle that we can pull away from the history. Fairy tales are great fun, but no one ever really got kept awake by a pee under their mattress. No one ever cut children, their children alive from a wolf's stomach. Uh, and no one ever made their fortune from selling magic beans. They might have made their fortune from selling magic mushrooms, but not magic beans, right? In fact, there'd be a kind of danger, wouldn't there, in continuing to believe that fairy tales were real. Imagine meeting someone in the workplace who grew up and actually thought some of these things were real. I had a friend who... Uh, who was told stories by his dad when he was growing up that were sort of amusing, and yet it took him ages to realize that they weren't the truth. Like his dad would say when the ice cream van came around and it was playing the tune, he'd say, look, the ice cream van. Oh, no, it's playing the tune. That's because that's, they play that when they ran out of ice cream. <laughs> or, or, or he'd show his son through the, the shop window those things that uh, slide down on your feet to, to size your shoes, right? And he'd say, oh, that's the machine because all the shoes are the same size to cut your foot to fit the shoe. And he, and he believed that, so he wasn't really a fan of, of getting new shoes fitted. You see, there would be a danger, wouldn't there, in growing up believing those kind of mythical stories, you know, apart from the psychological scarring involved. And so to say Jesus is a fairy tale is to say, you know, I've moved beyond believing that kind of thing. No adult believes that kind of nonsense. It's to put Jesus in the same category as, you know, pumpkin coaches and, um, and gingerbread houses and pigs who build houses and wolves that can blow them down. He's not true, and he makes no difference to life. Well, if you're someone who's not a Christian here this morning, that might well summarize the kind of thing that you're thinking. Um, but perhaps if you, if you are a Christian, what's the point of thinking about that kind of statement then? I imagine that many of you here are believers why would it be worth thinking about Jesus being a fairy tale? Well, I think in a sense there's, there's two aspects, aren't there, to being a Christian. There's both the things that we think and understand, and there's also the experience, 
the experiences of what it's like to live out that faith in a fallen world. And holding together those two aspects of, of what we understand and think and what it's like to actually feel and live as a Christian is a big part of the struggle of being a Christian, isn't it? I'm sure, like me, there are times where those things just don't seem to want to fit together. Whether either you, you sort of feel deep down, I, I'm pretty clear that this is real, but you don't have all the answers up here about questions. Perhaps you became a Christian with a sense, like I did, of conviction. Somehow you know this is true, but then you see things in the news or you read books or you have questions from friends and you think, I don't know if I can actually defend intellectually that actually Christianity is true. So there might be that kind of sense, I know it here, but I'm, I don't know it here. But there can be the other thing. You might have been someone who's been a Christian for a while. You, you know the stuff. You're quite convinced intellectually. And yet it's like sometimes you just don't feel that you're gripped by it anymore. It's like you sort of know it upstairs, but it's sort of trying to travel those inches from the head to the heart that's the, that's the trouble. And so thinking about Jesus as a fairy tale, hopefully engages us if we're Christians here this morning as well, because really we're asking again, do we have a good reason to believe that Christianity is true? But also, if it's true, what relevancy does it have? Is it something that actually comes out and grabs us and grips us? And, and I really want to suggest this morning, looking at a passage of the Bible, that that's the case. Now, we're going to be doing a little bit of a recap, actually, on one of the talks, because we're going to be talking this morning a bit more about the resurrection. We've been near to Easter and thought it'd be a good thing to talk about. But also because if we think about that title, Jesus is a fairy tale, as I think around about the, uh, about the kind of academics and stuff out there, there's not really anyone who would actually say that flatly Jesus is a fairy tale. You find the odd kook, and you can find them on internet boards, who's going to want to try to convince you that Jesus never existed but I was listening recently to a radio interview of a rather famous uh, New Testament guy in the States who's not a Christian, uh, who was basically just flabbergasted by this guy he was talking to on the radio who wanted to say Jesus never existed. And his argument basically was, well, if you want to say Jesus never existed, Jesus is probably better documented than almost any other person in ancient history. So basically you're condemning everything in the past to being completely unknowable and that it never existed. And this is a guy, I commend you to go and listen to Bart Ehrman on YouTube. You can go and listen to the radio interview of him being interviewed by a guy talking about how it's just absurd to say Jesus never existed. And so I, I want to talk about the particular part of Jesus' ministry or life that perhaps is the most unbelievable, the most like a myth. You see, we can say, well, it's not really that weird to say Jesus existed. We know people in history existed. It's not that weird to say Jesus taught amazing things because we know other people taught stuff. It's not that weird even perhaps to say Jesus healed people because even if we might say we don't know how, we know that people can get healed from sicknesses. But when Christians claim that Jesus rose from the dead, surely that's the kind of thing you're going to say, that just doesn't happen. You know, I smell a myth, I smell a fairy tale because that kind of thing just does not happen in my world. So we're going to get uh, Zach now, is going to come up and read to us a little part of the Bible that's talking about Jesus being raised from the dead. It's the Apostle Paul um, writing to, to some Christians at Corinth, who themselves were wondering about the resurrection. They'd got some misunderstandings about it. And Paul's basically reminding them about how 
the message about Jesus being physically raised from the dead is at the heart of the good news that he taught them about Jesus when he first preached the gospel to them. So we're going to read 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to, 9, uh, 1 to 20, and I imagine it's going to come up there on the screen if you don't have a Bible. So reading from 1 Corinthians 15. Now, brothers, I want to clarify for you the gospel I proclaimed to you. You received it and have taken your stand on it. You are also saved by it if you hold to the message I proclaimed to you, unless you believed for no purpose. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one abnormally born, he also appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by God's grace I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not ineffective. However, I worked more than any of them, yet not I, but God's grace that was with me. Therefore, whether it is I or they, so we proclaim, and so you have believed. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say, there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is without foundation, and so is your faith. In addition, we are found to be false witnesses about God, because we have testified about God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Therefore, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. Great. Thank you very much, Zach. Now, normally when I'm preaching from a, a part of the Bible, I'm going to break my rules today. I would normally really work through the passage and be looking to bring out, you know, what's the heart, what's the main point of this passage. In a sense, we're not really going to do that today. More we're going to look at what Paul says here, how it bears a kind of witness um, a kind of implicit witness to the historical nature of the Christian faith. You see, Paul's trying to convince them here about something to do with the resurrection, but he's not telling them about the resurrection for the first time. He's not really trying to convince them that it happened. He, he knows that they already believe that. And often historians, it's interesting to read historians, and you'll hear it actually in Bart Ehrman's thing on YouTube if you go and look at it, that... Um, Paul's letters are of great worth in thinking about Jesus, both because they're some of the earliest writings of Christianity, but also because most of the time, interestingly, Paul is not trying to convince people about the fact that there was a Jesus who did certain things. They already believe that. And so there's a sense in which historians like this kind of testimony because there's an off-handedness to it. There's, it seems like it doesn't have bias because it's not trying to convince us of certain things, rather that we just learn them on the side as we read it. And it's as if everyone simply assumes it in the world that Paul travelled. So what is it that we see here about Jesus as a historical figure? 
And particularly about the resurrection, I want to think about those two things I mentioned of truth and significance. And the first is this, that Jesus isn't a fairy tale we can see here because the resurrection really happened. You see, when someone says that Christianity um, is a nonsense because it didn't really happen, they actually cotton on to something really true. Did you notice that as you read through? Paul is clear that the Christian faith depends on historical facts. And if you can get rid of those historical facts, you destroy Christianity. Look down with me at verse 16, for example. If the dead are not raised, uh, Christ has, uh, has not even been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, verse 17, your faith is futile. He's saying if the resurrection didn't happen, there is no point in being a Christian Verse 19, then, to be a Christian is to be pitiable. It's to be the sort of most miserable kind of person. And verse 15, Paul says, if the, if the resurrection didn't happen, he's someone who's lying about God. There's no way of preserving the Christian faith if, if it's not true. It stands or falls with the resurrection. And so I want to suggest really three things that we, we get a little bit from here and from the New Testament broadly about why it's actually reasonable to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Now, this is going to be a little bit heady, and it's going to be a little bit fast, but I really wanted to give you um, three, three things that convinced me that the resurrection really happened. I'll, I'll give you a little bit of story before I tell you what they are. I was once giving a talk to do with the resurrection about probably eight years ago or something like that in Palmerston North, and afterwards, actually it wasn't on the resurrection, it was about eternal life or something like that, and uh, we were in a room, and it was mostly people who weren't Christians and a couple of people there who were organizing it. And uh, they decided to have a question time like we're going to have, and no one was bold enough. So someone tried to throw me a freebie, right? A sort of gimme. The, a Christian at the back of the room put their hand up and said, oh, just tell us why we should believe in the resurrection. And I just had one of those moments where my mind went blank, and I couldn't think of anything, and so I sort of stalled and fumbled around and said a couple of things and moved on. And I went away thinking, come on, I should have been able to do better than that. And I went home, and over the course of the last eight years, these are the three points that I've come up with, <laughs> that these are the three things I should have said if I was firing on all cylinders. So do ask questions today, but it might take me eight years to get back to you, all right? So here's three things that really convinced me, and I've tried to boil them down so that maybe you might even remember them and, and be able to at least think about them for yourself, maybe even share them with someone else. You're probably not going to get 20 minutes, are you? Or, or 15 minutes to rattle all three of these out. You might, you know, bore someone to death who just asked you, why do you believe Jesus was raised? But it's helpful to have some of this detail in your mind, right? Three things, that, that the resurrection of Jesus is both close it's unusual and it's necessary. It's close, it's unusual, and it's necessary. What do I mean by that? Well, it's easy to imagine if you think about the resurrection of legends sort of springing up over time. Let's imagine that people began to believe in Jesus who were his friends. But over time that spread and it became removed in history and removed in geography and removed in relationships and that somewhere over here later in a different group of people, those people began to say Jesus was raised from the dead. And yet, I mean, you can imagine that, you know, that kind of Chinese whispers building up legends. That's often the kind of thing you hear, isn't it? And yet everything about the New Testament, about Jesus Christ, does not sound like that at all. 
Everything we read about the proclamation of the resurrection is very close. It's close in time. Right? We hear about the resurrection very early on. It's close in geography. We hear about people believing in Jesus in Jerusalem where he died. And it's close in relationships. And I just want to show you a few of those things from here. Notice Paul's writing this letter. When is he writing it? Probably in the 50s, about 20 years after Jesus died. And he's talking about the resurrection. But notice he said he told them about the resurrection earlier. That's probably in the early 50s, less than 20 years. In fact, if we read more round in Paul's letters, we learn that what he's talking to them about in Corinthians is what he says in Galatians about people who were Christians proclaiming the same message before he became a Christian. Well, when did Paul become a Christian? We can actually date these things pretty well because of stuff he talks about going on in the Roman Empire. And we reckon Paul became a Christian probably from within about a year of Jesus' death in about AD 33. That means that Paul's saying that people were proclaiming Jesus risen from the dead from at least before a year after Jesus died. I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like a lot of time to start developing stories about Jesus. It's close in time. Notice also in some of these verses, have a look at verse 5 and verse 7. There's some of the people talked about involved here. Cephas, verse 5. James, verse 7. These are people who were in the church in Jerusalem, who apparently were talking about the resurrection. They were right there in the place that Jesus was crucified, that people knew stuff about Jesus, that people could say, no, you're talking rubbish. We know where Jesus' grave is. We know he's still in there. No, these were people in Jerusalem within that first year saying Jesus is raised from the dead. And also notice who they are. Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends. James, Jesus' own brother. You see, if you want to make up stuff about Jesus, it's an easy way to do it. Get away from him. Get away from where he lived. Get away in time and be later and get away from people who knew him. And yet, where was the resurrection proclaimed? It was close. Close in time. Close in geography. Close in terms of people. Family relationships. Best friends said Jesus was risen from the dead. So it's close. Secondly, it's, it's unusual. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, imagine another scenario. Again, it's just speculating, but people seem to like to speculate about Jesus. That, um, that you might say, well, imagine that being raised from the dead was some sort of honorable term, and that people respected Jesus, and so they decided, let's just give that title to Jesus Christ, because we, we think he's so special, right? Jesus was raised from the dead. Okay, But if you ask the first century Jew, what did it mean to be raised from the dead? They'd say, well, it means to be dead, right? And then to be physically, bodily raised up to life. You come back to life again. Okay, Mr. First century Jew, tell me a bit more. When is this going to happen and what's it going to be like? Resurrection. They would say, oh, yeah, well, obvious. It's at the end of history and it's everyone. The resurrection means in first century Judaism, at the end of history, everyone will be raised up all at the same time, right at the end. But notice what they're saying then in the New Testament and Paul's saying in this passage. Yes, physical resurrection, but not of everyone, of one man. And not at the end of history, but as it were in the middle of history, 
History's still going. What on earth would have driven them to that kind of novel way of thinking? It's, it's not applying something to Jesus that's just floating around in the water. It's actually saying something that would have stopped the average person in their tracks and say, Jesus, what? No, 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 no. That's something that happens at the end to everyone. You're saying it happened to Jesus in the middle of time and just to him? It required explanation. It's novel. It's unusual. It's weird. And a lot of historians note that and say, how on earth did they come to that view? It just doesn't fit. You can't just read it off the background thought and say they're just applying a category to Jesus. No, this is unusual. It's close. It's unusual. And really, that leads me to that third thing. It's necessary. Flows out of the first two. And I I can't help but want to use a Cambridge professor of New Testament to back me up on this because it makes me sound kind of flash. But if what we've said about Jesus is true, right, you've got Christians saying something almost unthinkable about Jesus of Nazareth in the place he died where people knew about him. From within a year, I mean, remember when we say within a year, that doesn't mean that it has to be a year at the latest. It could be, as we find in the New Testament, within weeks, that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. We've got Christians gathered together, believing in Jesus, proclaiming him, when by all rights, there should be nowhere. You see, what happens in the New Testament after Jesus dies? Well, his, his followers give up, don't they? And to some extent, they either hide or scatter. Now, that isn't unusual. We can read about other people in the early world who rose up as leaders against the Romans, who did amazing things, who gathered people around them, got killed, and what happened after that? People forgot about them. There was actually a guy we only learnt about, I think in something like the 1950s or something, who was a big deal. And we'd never known about him for 2,000 years until someone found a coin with his name on it. They'd been printing money because they thought this guy was so important. He rose up. He was probably more important than Jesus in his day, got killed, and no one heard about him for 2,000 years. Why? Because people scattered. Because no one talked about him anymore. He was a failure. People actually distanced themselves. We don't want to be long with that guy. He got killed. Why on earth are there early Christians gathered together, still going, talking about how Jesus had been raised from the dead? And this is the quote that this guy from Cambridge University in the mid-20th century gives. He says, The coming into the existence of the first Christians rips a great hole in history, a hole the size and shape of the resurrection. If you don't think that happened, I'm sort of paraphrasing him here, if you don't think that happened, what else are you going to prop open that hole with? You see, you might think that Christians have to defend the resurrection, but to some extent it's actually the other way around. If you don't think the resurrection happened, you actually need to explain historically how on earth are there Christians there, gathered together, worshipping Jesus, saying he'd risen from the dead. It's necessary to make sense of what we find in the New Testament. So it's close, it's unusual, it's necessary. I realize that's all pretty heady. And in a sense, I want to turn here now, finally, really to to more like heart matters. So what? So what if Jesus was actually raised from the dead? What difference does it make? You see, we, we might say then, we can't say Jesus is a fairy tale. He's real, he rose from the dead. But so what? Maybe he's like a fairy tale in the sense that he doesn't matter, though. 
But as you look at that passage, did you, did you notice how Paul does a really interesting thing? It's easy to gloss over. He tells this story about Jesus and what happened to Jesus. But as he tells that story, he's weaving in his own story. As we hear about Jesus' story, Paul, as a Christian, can't tell it without telling his own story about what happened to him. And he shows us as he does it that unlike a fairy tale, Jesus really changes people. The resurrection really changes people, just like it changed Paul. Have a look down with me at verses 8 to 10. Let's read them again. See, Paul tells us his story. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he's saying that because he wasn't actually a follower of Jesus in his earthly ministry. Jesus appeared also to me, that's Paul. For I am the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. That means any of the other apostles. Though it wasn't me, but it's the grace of God that was within me. You see, Paul had once been radically opposed to Christianity. He'd gone around finding Christians, traveling places just to find them. It wasn't enough to stay at home and find the local Christians. He went on specific pilgrimages to find Christians and hunt them out and get rid of them. And then suddenly, he's taken hold of by the God who raises the dead. He's taken hold of by the Jesus who appears resurrected to him and called to proclaim the message that he opposed. His life's turned upside down by Jesus raised from the dead. You see, something can be real and have no effect on us. You see, I mean, I I, I was a physicist in a former life, and I could try to convince you this morning, right, that, you know, when you look at a rainbow, you can see that big band of color. Do you ever notice that you can see actually lesser bands of color around it? There's actually double rainbows you can see. Well, actually, if you were a bird, you could see other rainbows in between those. You could see number three and number five and number seven and all kinds of ones. Isn't that amazing? You might go home and maybe if you're a geek like me, you'd say, that's amazing. But it's not going to change your life, is it? If I explain to you how the refraction through water droplets actually creates rainbows, you're going to go, wow, great. Glad I didn't do physics at university. And then you're going to go home. It's going to make no difference to you whatsoever. But Paul shows us here how the resurrection is not like that. You see, because it's not just a fact that Jesus died and raised. It's something with meaning. Did you notice that? That Jesus died on the third day, was was buried, was raised. Why? For sin. Paul says it's a fact with a meaning. You see, Jesus died to bring back enemies to be reconciled to God. And Paul's saying, that's just what happened to me. I used to be an enemy of God, a persecutor, and now he says I'm a preacher of the gospel. How on earth did that happen? How on earth did it happen that someone like that, who's an enemy, can get taken hold of and moved over suddenly and his life's turned around? I don't know if you've read the New Testament, but some of you might know what happens when that happens. Other Christians go to Paul, he must be faking it. How on earth could someone like that become a Christian? Maybe, maybe you don't even need Paula's proof here this morning. Maybe some of you would testify to that as well. 
how on earth did you become a Christian? How on earth did someone like you become a Christian? I, w- I went to, uh, when I was at university, I was doing physics. My best friend was a, a physicist, uh, and uh, she was a Christian. And I used to take the mick out of her sitting next to me in lectures for being a Christian. One day she invited me along to a talk uh, to go and hear stuff about Jesus. I went to cause trouble and uh, realized I didn't know enough to cause trouble about Christianity and so stayed, decided to, to hear all that I could so that I'd know how to cause better trouble and ended up becoming a Christian in about five days. You know, what is Christianity? But, uh, you know, as it were... Uh, a movement of people, right? Where we believe certain things. Where we have authority in teaching, right? That's just not me. That's just not me. I'm not that kind of person. And I imagine that many of you aren't either. You see, there's a kind of proof, isn't there, that's the, the flip side of the proof of kind of intellectual stuff. That is of lives changed of people you just wouldn't expect coming to Jesus and being gripped by the power of the resurrection. You see, it's about grace. The resurrection of Jesus is about grace that takes hold of unlikely people and brings them back to God and changes lives. See, the resurrection is is unbelievable if you think about it in terms of that person proof. But it's not actually any more unbelievable than a group of people like this meeting 2,000 years ago to worship that same Jesus. Think about it. Today, there are congregations of proofs scattered all over the world this morning, gathering together, continuing to proclaim Jesus Christ is risen. Who'd have thought it? See, only it's only reasonable because it's true. Jesus is the opposite of a fairy tale because... He really was raised, and it really means something. It takes hold of people. So what can you do about it? Well, if you're here as someone today, and perhaps you're beginning to think for the first time from the kind of things that are said here, actually, I don't want to admit it to anyone, but I think there might be something to this. Don't stop there. Come and talk to me afterwards. Come and talk to someone else, perhaps, who's been up the front, or talk to the person who brought you. Don't leave it there. Keep going with it. It is real. There's something real happening to you. But perhaps you're someone who's still not convinced. Like, can I commend you for coming and, and, and having the intellectual honesty to think through some of these things about who Jesus is and what Christians would say about him. But don't leave it there. You see, I wanted to demonstrate a little bit this morning that there's real data to back up what Christians claim. There's real arguments why not think about going along to that explaining Christianity course and, and being willing to expose yourself to the best of what Christians can say to defend the gospel? But I imagine, like me, there's many of us here who are Christians this morning and want to know what to do with this. Well, there's really two things, and I know it's really basic, but two things that, if you're like me, you can have trouble holding together. That head and that heart. If we take seriously what Paul says here, he says the resurrection's real. He hands on truth about it. Do you notice that language? The truth I handed on to you that I also received. Paul says, I have teaching I received from others I'm handing on to you. There's head stuff about being a Christian. 
We can't put that away. If you're a Christian here this morning, taking this seriously means that you and I need to learn more about our faith. Whether we've just become Christians, we've been Christians for a long time. We need to say, I want to know, here in the Bible, that thing that's been handed on, once delivered from the apostles. But also perhaps to understand more of how I can reason and think about my faith and defend it to others. We, we've got to be pressed here, I think, to learn more as a Christian. But also we've got to hold together that other thing about Paul, that it's no good just knowing the stuff, is it? We've got to be gripped by it. We've got to turn to the Lord this morning and say, I want to be like Paul. I want to know this stuff, but I want to be gripped by it. I want to be changed by it. I want to know what it is for the grace of God to be so at work in me that I don't even talk about what I do, but about what the grace of God's done in and through me and through you. Well, we're going to have a space for a bit of time of of questions now, and then I'm going to uh, pray. I will do my best, even as you perhaps warm yourselves up to think about questions. Oh, we're going to get them on the screen, are we? You won't have to shout them out and stuff, but how am I going to know what the questions are? Will they come up down here or something? No, I'll have to turn around. How do you spell the name of the New Testament scholar on YouTube? Ooh, yeah, that's good, isn't it? Bart, B-A-R-T, like Simpson, like space, and then the the, the second name I'm going to get wrong, E-H-R-M-A-N. I think that's right. Is it right? I, it's because if he was really a proper German, you'd probably have two N's on the end, but he's probably uh, Americanized it with one N. Yeah, Bart Ehrman. He's, uh, he's at uh, UNC Chapel Hill, U- University of North Carolina Chapel Hill, uh, probably one of the foremost experts on the text of the New Testament, uh, was at one stage a Christian, now would say he's an agnostic, pretty hostile to the Christian faith. But it's quite amusing, at least from my point of view, to listen to him completely demolished from a historical person. No, that's wrong. E-H-R-M-A-N. E-H-R. So replace it. There we go. The magic of science. There we go. Right, next one. Thank you. People are pointing. (laughs) Didn't other people rise from their graves at the same time as Jesus' death? They did. Matthew tells us about that, that when Jesus, um, when Jesus died, uh, at, at the moment of Jesus' death, um, there was a great earthquake and graves were opened. I think it says many of the saints came out. But what happened to them? Well, one imagines like Lazarus, they died. They may have been, as it were, resurrected in the sense they came back to life, but they're not still with us. I mean, why is Jesus not still with us? Because he ascended into heaven. He's still resurrected in his flesh. But I imagine that most of those Matthew, uh, I want to say 28, but that's too late, isn't it? Probably about 26, 27 people are like Lazarus, still in the grave. Right? So they rose up and walked around. So we don't want to say Jesus is unique in the sense that he came out of the grave. But really there w- theirs was a kind of a, a coming back to life only to die again, whereas Jesus has died and risen to live forevermore, right? Does that sort of get at what that person was itching at? Next one. Anything more? Or no, did I, did I run the gauntlet and I exhausted all the questions? Good? Great. Well, look, um, so I mean, I think I passed the test, didn't I? I mean, great. Um, let's, let's pray. And um, I do encourage you. I realize, you know, it's hard to sometimes think about these things on the spot. 
And uh, if you've got burning things, do come and uh, talk to me afterwards, although certain burning things you might want to talk about to a doctor. Uh, let's pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for gathering us together today as your people, and we, we ask, Lord, that you might convince us of the truthfulness of, of the claims of Jesus, particularly his amazing life, his death, and his resurrection. And we thank you that, that these things are true, and yet not true in, in merely the way of, of just a bare fact, but in things that mean and that come out and reach out as you do from heaven to take hold of us. And we ask this morning for people who are here who aren't believers that you would even reach down now by the Holy Spirit and take hold of them from the heart. And we ask for those of us who are believers that, that you would do more of this work in our lives, that you would press us to learn and to grow in our understanding of facts, of theology, of the Bible, of all those things that will advance us on this great deposit of the faith. But also ask, we ask, Lord, that what we've come to know might grip us from the heart, might change us, uh, that we might know what it is, like Paul, to labor because of the grace of God at work in our lives. Lord, only you can do these things, and so we give them to you and we pray for your help. In Jesus' name, amen.